Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, plant friends. Thank you for joining me here in the Plow and Hose studio, recorded right here in my home in my little town of Taylor, Texas. Well, folks, it is mid-March, and we are officially past the last average frost date, and we're also a week into daylight savings time, and it's March 20th, and it's the first day of spring. The spring equinox is the day when there is pretty much an equal amount of daylight and darkness. And from this point forward until the late summer, we will have more daylight than darkness. I am kind of sensitive to the short days of winter, and it is such a relief for me now that the seasons have shifted. Needless to say, it's my favorite time of year. I love my springtime morning garden routine, and I have been missing it a whole lot. I am so glad that we have hit these milestones because it means nature is waking up and things will start greening up quickly with the warmer mornings. I've also um, started getting out of bed earlier again so I can knock out some exercise. Just doing some walking, kind of sort of jogging, running a little bit, just a few miles, um, enough to get my blood circulating the first thing in the morning before I start my outside chores. Right now, it's still dark at that time of the morning, but on the days when the sky is clear and I can see the moon and sometimes see some stars still, it's amazing. It's so quiet. And even though I don't particularly enjoy running, that pre-dawn time in the morning feels really, really special to me, and I love that time to myself. Soon enough, it's not going to be very dark um, at the same time in the mornings, but I'm looking forward to actually being able to see the different plants and trees around the neighborhood. There are a couple of mimosa trees on my usual route, and those trees are my absolute favorite favorite flowering trees. I can't wait to see and smell the mimosas when they start blooming. Around my backyard right now, my fruit trees are starting to push out buds. We had a couple of days recently when the temperatures dropped down below freezing, and that may have caused some damage to the blossoms. Only time is going to tell if the cold will actually impact fruit production. The peach trees are starting to bloom, so maybe things will be okay and I'll get a few peaches this summer. 
my Mexican plum tree seems to be totally unfazed by those cold temperatures last week because this week it's been 100% full bloom and it looks and smells amazing. The bees and the other pollinators are crazy about this tree too. I love it. It's a great little tree and it's, it's so sweet and pretty. Some mornings, the scent of that Mexican plum just hangs in the air and it is so lovely, especially when the breeze catches it and I smell it across the yard. It's incredible. There is just something so calm and peaceful about early mornings in the spring. Around town, I've noticed some other harbingers of spring coming alive. The white irises and redbud trees. Both of these plants are extra early blooming signs that spring has arrived in Central Texas. Redbud trees are popular ornamental landscape trees that put out beautiful purple, pinkish, magenta flowers in the springtime. And then they push out large heart-shaped leaves just after the flowers fade. They are considered understory trees because they don't get especially tall, just like 20 to 40 feet um, tall at the most. And they can also tolerate some shade. Here in Central Texas, there are three types of redbud trees that grow well for us here. If you want a beautiful ornamental tree, check out Eastern, Mexican, and redbud, and Texas redbuds. These three all do well for us in Central Texas. They are all native to the United States, and the Mexican and the Texas redbuds are just a little more hardy to our soil and climate types. Eastern redbud leaves are large and thin and flat. The leaves on the eastern redbuds are more matte in sheen compared to the glossy and slightly curly leaves of Mexican and Texas redbuds. Eastern redbuds tend to be more susceptible to drought stress and sun scald in our hot summers. Eastern redbuds really do benefit from afternoon shade to prevent the worst of heat and drought stress. Texas and Mexican redbuds are more recommended for our part of central Texas because they can tolerate our more intense summers and extended droughts and Lucky for us, they don't mind the alkaline soil, which is really a wonderful thing. And it makes them great little trees for those of us with the blackland prairie soil like we have here in Taylor. Our soil is heavy clay. So if you're planting anything directly in the ground here, throw in some compost in the planting hole just to help with drainage and give the plants some extra nutrients. The main difference between Texas and Mexican redbuds um, really is size. Mexican redbud trees are a little bit smaller and they don't get quite as tall as Texas redbuds. The Mexican 
red buds have smaller, glossier, um, and wavy edged leaves. Mexican red buds are also slightly more drought tolerant than Texas red buds. Texas and Mexican redbud trees, um, their leaves turn gold in the fall. Native eastern redbuds also turn golden yellow in the fall. But if you like burgundy leaves, you might want to seek out um, some varieties of eastern redbuds that come in, um, that have dark purple foliage. Varieties like forest pansy or Merlot. Those are those other varieties um, have that beautiful burgundy fall foliage. Even though they are full-fledged actual trees, red buds are members of the legume family and are botanically related to beans, peas, blue bonnets, Prado Barbados, and my favorite mimosa trees. Legumes are nitrogen-fixing plants, and this is a really cool thing they can do. They can take nitrogen from the air and convert it into a form that they can use for food. Red buds and all legumes can do this. They're able to suck the nitrogen out of the air, and then they work with the soil bacteria and convert nitrogen gas into a form of nitrogen that plants can use. This is great because nitrogen is a key plant nutrient and it's the one that is responsible for keeping leaves healthy and green. Since red buds bloom very early in the spring, they are an important source of nectar for bees, butterflies, moths, and hummingbirds. Hummingbirds spend the winter in Mexico and Central America. When the weather starts to warm up and daylight increases, black-chinned hummingbirds start to migrate back to Central Texas. And I saw on the Taylor, Texas Backyard Gardeners Facebook group this week that some folks have already started seeing, seeing hummingbirds and they're starting to set up their hummingbird feeders, which is pretty cool. If you are interested in having plants for pollinators and hummingbirds, then seriously consider adding a red bud tree to your landscapes. They are really pretty trees and they will attract hummingbirds to your yard. On my way to work this past week, I noticed a neighbor's white irises have started to bloom. Iris albicans, also called white cemetery iris, um, have been cultivated since ancient times and they are thought to be the oldest cultivated iris and date back to 1400 BC where white iris appear in wall paintings and other Middle Eastern art. They're called cemetery iris because they are a traditional graveside plant originally used in Muslim countries. The tradition of planting white iris in cemeteries spread through Spain and Europe and eventually adopted 
through the southern U.S. Even though they are not native to the U.S. or to Texas, white iris grows very well for us here in central Texas with extremely little effort. And that's probably why they were planted in cemeteries and around graves because they didn't get daily attention or even regular attention and still bloomed every year. White irises are tough little plants. They can tolerate really, really poor conditions, including extreme heat and drought. Even though they are amazing survivors and seem to practically thrive from neglect, they still look really nice in your flower beds at home too. Their gray spiky sword-like leaves look really nice with mounding plants that have smaller foliage like lantana, rosemary, lavender. White iris is deer and rabbit resistant and it also does super in alkaline soil like we have here in Taylor. White iris start blooming in central Texas um, about now, mid-March, and will continue to bloom into April. Unlike regular bearded iris, which can develop seed pods, white iris, are um, they're sterile. They only spread by rhizomal growth and by divisions. Rhizomes are stems that grow just beneath the surface. Rhizomes grow horizontally and send out buds that pop up through the soil near the mother plant. You can dig up these side plants and plant them elsewhere. Irises are so easy to grow and are great um, pass-along plants that you can share with friends. You can even dig up white iris while it's blooming and it will recover just fine. Most plants are going to suffer if you try to divide them before or during their bloom cycle, but white iris does not care. Dig it up, move it, divide it. It can take it, no problem. Trim off the older portions of the rhizomes and cut back the leaves. And you can cut it, you can leave um, just a third of it um, of the leaves and that, that's plenty. I once had a neighbor who said that you could run over iris with a lawnmower and throw the chopped up parts into a ditch and leave them for dead and they would still grow and give you flowers the next year. Um, I've not tried that, but I totally believe it, um, especially with white iris. They are really, really easy to grow. You hardly even have to dig a hole. You just have to make like a shallow impression in the soil, place the rhizome on the ground, and then cover it with some soil. And soon enough, you'll discover new growth. They don't need to be babied like other plants. Once they get established, they really don't need a whole lot of extra water or fertilizer. Since they don't need much extra care, white iris fit really well into xeric landscapes. Xeriscaping is a landscape design that conserves water and protects the environment. 
You are listening to Plant Hose on KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. If you're enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and music coming out of our station, broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plant Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Host podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and leave a review. It's really quick. Just click on the stars, leave a couple of sentences about what you like about Plow and Hose. It's going to help others find the show, and it lets folks know that Plan Hose is a pretty good show. If you've already left your review, thank you very much. If you haven't left one, go run and do that. <laughs> Xeriscaping, or Xeric Landscaping, is a type of gardening design specifically for areas that are prone to drought. The word xeriscape is just a combination of two words. The Greek word xeros, which means dry, and landscape. So it literally means dry landscaping. It's spelled X-E-R-I-S-C-A-P-E. Xeriscape is sometimes mispronounced as zeroscape, which to me sounds terrible. It sounds more like a no yard at all or um, a yard that's nothing but gravel and has no plants at all. But that is not xeriscaping. It's not cacti gardening or rock gardening either. Although xeriscaping uses rocks and uh, cacti, they can. Um, xeriscaping is very prevalent in arid climates and places that focus on water conservation, like in the desert Southwest. Xeriscaping has been embraced in the dry areas of the Western U.S. for quite a while. Um, in fact, Denver, Colorado was one of the first urban areas to adopt xeriscaping as a way to encourage residents to use less of the city's drinking water to water their lawns. Xeriscaping is promoted throughout Texas by the Texas Agricultural Extension Service as a way to help maintain and preserve an adequate supply of high-quality water in Texas. In urban areas in Texas, about 25% of the water supply the drinking water supply is used for landscaping and gardening, mostly for keeping lawns green. And I think that's totally crazy, especially since you can't eat grass. I mean, yes, you can. You can eat grass. It's edible. It's safe to eat. It's safe to consume. You can totally eat it. But nobody does. Nobody does that. Nobody goes out of their way to eat grass. It tastes bad. It's gross. Anyway, Xeriscape education and installation conserves water while protecting the environment. Even though the concept of dry landscaping can make Xeriscaping sound incredibly bleak, it's not at all. And it can actually be really rather lush and colorful when you have the right design, the right plants, and 
the right practices are being used. Xeriscaping saves water by incorporating seven basic principles to reduce water usage and conserve water. These are planning and design, soil analysis, practical use of turf grasses, appropriate plant suction, efficient irrigation, and using mulch, and then just maintaining it. Central Texas is growing like crazy, and we have more and more people moving here. And that's all because it's a really great place to be. But more people and more homes mean more resources like water are being consumed. Anyone who gets a water bill surely understands that water is not free, and we really need to be mindful of how water is used. Reducing your water bill is just a side benefit of xeriscaping, which I think is a, a really pretty good thing on top of conserving our precious water supply. Supporters of xeriscaping say that it can reduce your water use by 50 to 75%, but for a lot of us, that means a drastic change from having a traditional American suburban lawn. In order to save that kind of household water consumption, xeriscaping means replacing nearly all of your turf grass with drought tolerant native plants, mulch, rocks, and other features. It's not going to look like one nice front yard with just grass. It can't look that way if you are wanting to xeriscape. The most important part of xeriscaping is choosing vegetation that is appropriate for your climate and soil and that's going to survive and thrive with a, only a little bit of added irrigation. Of course, we need some irrigation for our plants, especially when they get established. But to practice xeriscape principles, you have to water efficiently, which means watering at the proper time of day for the correct amount of time while preventing evaporation. Proper watering, effective and efficient design, and plant selection are essential practices for xeriscaping. These concepts remind me um, a lot of the principles of permaculture as both strive to be efficient while minimizing harm to the earth. Permaculture is associated more with homesteading and self-sufficiency. It's a concept in agriculture and landscape design that optimizes your outdoor space so you can incorporate more sustainable growing practices and become more self-sufficient. So basically, permaculture is providing yourself with food and shelter in a way that is easy, productive, and earth-friendly. If you're interested in learning more about permaculture, go check out episode 43 of the Plan Host podcast. It's the show from November 21st from 2021. There is quite a bit of crossover between xeriscaping and permaculture and living in Central Texas where we face challenges with drought and often extreme summer heat. 
we all could benefit from adopting a few xeric landscaping and permaculture practices. If you are starting with new landscaping or you're looking to make some changes this spring to become more earth friendly, the very first thing you need to do to start is make a plan. Grab some paper and some pens and sketch out your yard and outdoor space. Be sure to include existing structures like your house, a carport, sheds, um, paved or permanent features, you know, like driveways and patios and walkways. Also add your trees and your shrubs and note all your grassy areas. It doesn't have to be a scale drawing of your property. It doesn't have to be all formal. It can just be a general sketch. Even easier, just grab a screenshot of your house from Google Earth and you can use that and mark it up. Also make note of how your house is situated, which sides face which direction, so you know how much sun those areas get. Make a note of existing water sources too. As you are out and about in other places around town or in other communities, take pictures of your favorite plants and landscape designs. Find out what the plants are. See, you know, try to figure out if they're native or native adapted. These will be the best plants for our soil and climate, and they are likely going to be very drought tolerant. Unless you are starting with a blank slate, like brand new construction with absolutely no landscaping, or you're one of the lucky ones who have an unlimited budget, and you're going to want to make a few decisions on what you would like to accomplish first and then save your other ideas so that, that you can implement those over the next several years. It's going to take a while to convert um, some of these ideas, especially if you have a lot of grass. Lawns are good for kids and for pets, but they're a lot of work, especially in Texas where you have to water them all the time and then you gotta mow them and weed eat and all of that if you want them to look good. Me, um, no, I'd much rather have flowers and food than turf grasses that require a ton of water and maintenance. Unfortunately, the most common types of turf grasses that we have planted around our homes are Bermuda, Zoysia, and St. Augustine. As you might have guessed by their names, these grasses are actually native to more tropical and seaside areas here in Central Texas and in Taylor. We're not tropical or seaside. Since we're not in a tropical area, those turf grasses are going to need a whole lot more attention to maintain a nice thick mat to keep the weeds down. And that's going to mean more water and more nutrients to keep them green and lush throughout the year. Central Texas is quite prone to extended drought and sometimes extreme drought conditions. So keeping those tropical grasses like Bermuda and St. Augustine alive is going to take a lot of water. 
Plus, to keep it green, you're going to have to supplement with fertilizer. If you happen to have the opportunity to select your turf grass, plant a variety that is more adapted to our region. Buffalo, turfalo, and centipede grasses aren't really used much in the home landscapes, but they do show a lot of promise for water conservation. A lot because um, they actually go dormant um, during the worst of the summer heat. Understanding your soil is also critical for successful xeriscaping. Healthy soil allows for healthy roots and a healthy root system is essential for healthy plants. Plants with strong roots are more likely to over, overcome heat and water stresses as well as physical damage to the above ground parts of a plant. Adding organic matter like compost to your beds will improve plant health while conserving water because compost allows your soil to absorb and store water in a form that's available to your plants. Heavy clay soils like we have here in Taylor get thick and sticky when they get wet and if they compact, like if you walk on it or if you try to turn the soil while it's wet, all of those fine clay particles compress together and push out all the air. Plants need light and air in the soil for their roots to grow and all the little soil microbes need oxygen in order to live too. By adding compost to your soil, you will add water absorbing material, nutrients, and it's gonna help clay from compacting. Plant selection is the very best part of all gardening, but it's imperative to select drought-tolerant plants for xeriscaping. Texas has so many beautiful native plants, and there are tons and tons more that are adapted to our area. Most of them have lower water demands, they have fewer pest problems, and need less fertilizer than non-adaptive tropical and exotic plants that have been introduced to our landscapes. Doing some research and shopping at local nurseries and garden centers will serve you well when selecting native and adapted plants. Texas Earthkind plants and Texas Superstar plants are great plants that have been tested and studied for many years. Plants with these brands are excellent choices for xeriscaping in Texas. Weeds in your flower beds um, compete for water and nutrients. So once you get your plants in, add a nice layer of mulch in your beds to help keep the weeds down. Mulch prevents um, water loss through surface evaporation too. That layer of mulch between the soil and the air will keep your soil moist longer so you'll water less while keeping the roots cool too. While the goal of xeric landscaping is to reduce and conserve water, our plants will still need some supplemental water when we don't get enough rain. 
Xeriscapes challenge us to find the perfect balance when it comes to supplemental watering. Fortunately, it's not as hard when you set yourself up for success by selecting Texas Hardy um, plants, drought tolerant plants, by adding mulch to your beds, and then, of course, using good watering practices. We want to water just enough to keep our plants and soil happy, but not over water because that's wasteful because it runs off or it evaporates. Too much water can also kill plants quickly through root rot due to poor drainage. And some of the native plants and the uh, native adaptive plants, they're not used to too much water um, and they, they really can't use it Um, So too much water is a bad thing too. Here are a few things to remember about watering. Morning is an excellent time to water during the summer. When you water when it's cooler, you'll lose less water to evaporation. Watering with like a permanently installed irrigation system, either one with um, spraying heads or like a drip irrigation line, Those are more efficient than just like a hose and a sprinkler, but a hose-based system um, is a lot easier to operate, (laughs) Um, at least I think so. Um, They are a lot less expensive and they have fewer maintenance needs, but no matter how you apply water, make sure you keep the spray and the flow of water close to the base of the plants and actually on the soil and directed at the plants. I cannot stand to see someone watering their driveway um, when they're trying to water their lawn or their plants and they either set the sprinkler on too high and it sprays over or they just have it in the wrong space. I, I hate that. Um, but I think what is worse is when they are watering their driveway in the heat of the day too. And I don't know, it kind of makes me want to stop and, and let them know what they're doing, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that, but it is such a waste. Just make sure that your sprinklers are positioned properly. So you're not wasting water by watering your driveway. You want to water for a longer amount of time but less frequently. So if you have a timer, set it for 20 minutes and let your plants get a nice long soak. Depending on the temperatures, you may only need to supplement once a week during the spring. Okay, well, that's um, almost everything for the show today, but I wanna quickly mention all the great vegetables that we can still plant now through the end of March. We can plant Asian greens, warm and some of the cool season greens, basil, beans, beets, cantaloupes, chives, chard, corn, cucumbers, eggplants, mint, oregano, peppers, pumpkins, radishes, winter and summer squash, and of course we can transplant tomatoes. We can plant most of those seeds now through the end of March. Well, Thank you, friends, for joining me again. I hope you will have a wonderful week and a great time in your gardens.
Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas. Thank <laughs> you.